welcome back to another episode of the Peaceful Body Podcast. My name is Inez Bai. I am your host. And today I am joined live in the flesh with coach and therapist Liz Kirby, but I'll get you to introduce yourself. Um, we are going to be talking all about the difference between coaching and therapy. We're going to be talking about how to know what is the best fit for you. We'll be talking about our own journeys with our relationship with food and body image, and then talking about different coaching principles and approaches, I guess, that we have in our own lives. So welcome, Liz. Thank you so much. I'm excited. <laughs> Me too. I'm so excited to have you here. And we're sitting, let's set the scene. I think it's nice. We're sitting in my living room. Yep, how does close. it feel to be here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so nice. Nice. It's oh. so nice to walk into someone else's house as well. And <laughs> I know what a crazy time that we've been living in. Well, yeah. you're very welcome to be here. Thank you. Um, do you want to give a little intro to who you are, what your passion is and uh, yeah, what you do? Yeah, sure. So yeah, my name's Liz and I am a coach and a ther- therapist. So I currently work at the Indigo Project two love. days a week, which yeah. I absolutely love. And then I also have my own business and my passion is I love working with people who have anxiety. I mean, it's all mm. stuff that I've gone through, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. I love supporting people who, who have anxiety to, I suppose, learn how to not just cope with it, but actually live, you know, live a big, fat, juicy life with it and mm. thrive and learn strategies. And I also love working with the perfectionists, the self-help mm. junkies, people who um, are constantly, you know, striving to live a better life and kind of missing the moment and living by rules and shoulds and just connecting them back to you know, who it is that they are, what, how they, you know, how they want to live as well as, you know, the food and body stuff, which you also do. So it's a bit of a range of what I work with, Mm -hmm. um, but there's definitely commonalities in all of it as well. Yes, absolutely. And something that we spoke about earlier on when we um, went for our walk a few weeks ago was how whenever clients come to us, it's never just about food or body, right? And there's, it always boils down to like a core self-limiting belief. Yes. So do you want to go through some of the common themes that you see running with all of your clients that you feel are struggling with anxiety, struggling with perfectionism? I mean, that's things that definitely I have struggled with in the past as well. And I know that people who listen to the Peaceful Body Podcast will be like, yes, this is exactly what I need help with. So run us through some of the common themes that you find with your own clients. And yeah, I think like the common theme, you know, even food and body and um, disordered eating, it really is linked to anxiety disorders. And I think a common theme is that belief of I am not enough. Mm. One which, and you know, in some ways it's so comforting to hear that everyone has this belief in some shape or form to different degrees. Mm. But the beliefs that really, you know, come up in my coaching sessions or therapy sessions are I am not enough or I am not lovable. Mm. And um, yeah, then it just becomes, and I think what's tricky is we can adopt these these beliefs so young and then we live in a culture that kind of perpetuates it. Like everywhere mm. you look around, there's, you know, ads and magazines and everything telling you that you could be more if you earn more or look like this or, you Capitalism, know. right? Yeah, <laughs> yes. so it's like constantly fed. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'd say that's probably the main belief. And I resonate. That is a belief I still work with. I definitely doesn't control my life anymore. But, mm. um, but that's one I think I'm passionate about because... I feel that too, you know. Mm, absolutely. <clears throat> like I was, and it all stems down, like we, if we think we're not enough, then we think, oh, well, once I get the body, yes, then I'll be enough. And yeah. that's the key. When in reality, like I, even in my own journey, when I was thin, was skinnier and I lost a lot of weight, it still never felt enough. And yeah. so you're constantly on this treadmill of this never ending treadmill of thinking, well, just a bit more weight or just a bit more restriction or just yeah. the next kind of goal. Yeah. 
And so where do you feel like for you that belief, can you think of like a moment in time in your early stage, or, you know, in your childhood maybe, do you feel like there was a moment that you can kind of pinpoint down to where you felt there was like that sense of not enoughness? Do you know what? I think it can be tricky to pinpoint a moment. I do remember in terms of body image, a mm. moment when I was seven and I was in mm. a midriff top and I just had no concept of my body. Yeah. Like my body was just a body at that point. And I remember my grandma touching my tummy and going, oh, like some sort of, I don't know what the mm. exact words were, but I remember the feeling of shame. Like mm-hmm. I've, my tummy's just been touched and the kind of implication was that there was something wrong with it. And that was the first time I really felt shame in my body. Um, and then in terms of the not enoughness as well, I have memories. I lost my mum when I was young. And I mm. think, you know, often the common belief that kids can take on, especially, especially if they're little and they lose someone, is that it's somehow their fault. Mm. And I do have a memory of a nanny leaving because we had the nannies that helped look after, us, look after us. And I do have a memory of one of them leaving and me thinking if I was better, they would stay. Mm. And so there comes like, hello, perfectionism. I'm going to become the best person I can be to avoid any future pain of people leaving, basically. Mm, Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine how much of a Mm. profound impact that would have had because when you're young, that's just how you make sense of the world, right? You don't think... And you take everything really personally as well. It's like, yes. oh, that person's left because something that I have done. Totally. Right? And we're egotistical when mm. we're young. Like mm-hmm. often I'll say to clients, like if, you know, if they've grown up in an environment, maybe with their parents fought or, um, or I don't know, maybe their parents weren't very good at supporting themselves, mm. you know, supporting them with emotions. It's way scarier. Which is everyone. Which is everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm trying my hardest with my kids, but, you know, it's way scarier for a kid to believe that there's something wrong with their parents mm. than that there's something wrong with them. Wow. Because your livelihood, your survival as a kid depends on your parents. And so a way more protective belief actually mm. is, oh, I'm the problem because I'm like, screwed if they're the problem you know i need them and so you know it's kind of in a funny way mm. not a mistake that mm. we take on these beliefs it's like a survival if technique or almost isn't it yeah exactly oh, wow that's really interesting i've actually never heard it described in that way yeah and so how do you feel like then if we have that sense i guess what have been some of your own practices in feeling like you're more than enough or that you are worthy because i in my own life what i really used to do and i actually did the self-worth masterclass i ran a free masterclass last night and i spoke all about how you're inherently worthy right but it's sometimes when you've had experiences as in in your childhood as everyone does it makes you feel like you're not enough and you think that you're the problem then you start to outsource your worth to certain situations Mm -hmm. or certain people staying there and it took me a really long time to understand that it didn't matter kind of like the actions that I took or if I made a mistake or if someone didn't like me I could still be worthy regardless and for me now like that's a very empowering place to be it's taken a lot of considered work to get there um so how do you feel like you within your clients and within yourself you've been able to build that sense of like you are enough the way that you are yeah it's such a big question (laughs) isn't it yeah (laughs) the big sub it's such a good question and I do think it takes time Mm. I'm trying to think for what it was for me and I I can't pinpoint it like you say it was a lot of different things a lot of different work absolutely in terms of the food and body it was learning about diet culture I think and immersing myself in new worlds of body positivity and 
and really questioning like do i think that they their worth is any different just because of their body you know their body size and so then why am i thinking that about me and um something which was really powerful for me was because i had a pretty mean inner critic and Mm. i got a little picture of myself when i was little like three or four and I'd ask myself every time I was mean to myself because I love that little kid and this might Mm. not resonate with everyone, but I adore her. She's so sweet. She's Mm. so innocent. And whenever I was mean to myself or I'd have those, you know, thoughts about myself, you know, believing I'm not enough, I would say to myself, would you say that to her? Mm. And it was such a powerful practice for me because over time I realized there's no way I would, you know, talk to that person like that. And I suppose that can be that's part of the therapy work I do as well of like reparenting yourself mm. and giving that little kid who believed that she wasn't enough in that moment the love or whatever she needed in that moment to heal and it is a process I'm not sure if that answers the question um oh I love but, that and it's a very like tangible mm. action that someone who is listening to the podcast could be like oh okay let's find like a picture where yeah. I I can resonate with that I'm having fun that it was a moment where I was just being myself and not thinking about it and ask myself how would I talk to that version of me that younger version of myself and something that I think is really powerful about like inner child work or reparenting is also adopting the language of what you would say to a child and speaking in really like simple nurturing terms like if you're you know, if, I don't know, a child, like say my baby cousin like tripped over, I'm not going to say to him like, oh, you're so stupid and how embarrassing that you did that. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, are you okay? Like, it's going to be all right. And even if they cry, it's like, it's all right. Have a cry. Like, let it out. And also like allowing myself to sometimes speak to myself like that too, because sometimes you just really need that like very, almost like baby language to yes. feel safe and to just remind yourself that you're okay and that, you know, you're not, you're not embarrassing yourself and you're still worthy. That's essentially kind of like reminding yourself, yes, I'm, I'm worthy, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. So let's talk about um, you being a coach and a therapist and let's talk about the differences between these two because I've spoken at length about seeing my psychologist. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like I've been seeing her for about a year and she's helped me so much in so many different ways. Um, But I've also had very impactful experiences working with coaches and mentors and I think I haven't really ever clearly defined on the podcast what the differences is because I guess I've just been going through it with myself and just like experiencing the benefits of it all. And obviously Mm -hmm. I work as a coach, right? I'm not a psychologist. Um, And for me with my own personal experience and what I know as well is seeing my psychologist and, you know, having that kind of, I go fortnightly, which is, you know, such a privilege, I have to say, but I really, really value that. Um, It's a very insular session. Like I see her, we talk within that session. We tend to dive quite deep into past things that have happened, or we'll talk about things that are happening in the moment, but we'll always think about, well, where has that come from and where did that stem Mm. from? Whereas when I work with my coaches or my mentors, it's kind of like, okay, well, what are your values? And like, what are you excited about in the future? And what are you moving forwards with? Which is definitely Mm. how I coach my clients. Like I might talk a little bit about, oh, where do you think that belief has come from? But for me, working with my clients, it's very much like in the now and then taking the next action step. So how would you kind of define the differences between what you do and what you feel like the differences are in terms of like therapy and coaching? Yeah, I love that. I think you answered it so well yourself. Like Mm -hmm. in terms of the therapy, therapy, I feel like, you know, they do have a more in-depth understanding Mm. of anxiety and depression and mental health. Um, and it is about really understanding, like, why am I the way that I am? Like, mm. what has happened? Has there been trauma? Has there, and trauma doesn't have to be 
big T trauma, which is, you know, abuse or neglect, it can oh, be. Yeah. Little T trauma, which is, you know, no one really escapes from, which is just, you know, feeling misunderstood. We're all doomed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, therapists, like, yeah, we'll, we'll help you understand, like, where does this come from? And I mm. suppose do that deeper healing work of, okay, well, so how can I heal these parts of myself and get into relationship with these parts of myself mm. and hold these parts of myself? And, um, I think, you know, with coaching and I, that's why I love to do the both. I love, that's why I love to mix them both up. It's mm. more about like, you know, how do you want to live your life? What's important mm. to you? What's getting in the way of that? And I think that's so important. And I often say that to my clients, like, it's not enough for me for you to just not be anxious. Mm. Like, I love that. You yeah. want more than that, right? Like you want to actually live a life that is meaningful and value, you know, filled and joyful or mm. whatever's important to you. And so I think both can definitely play a part and it's, you know, there's some coaches who have just done so much incredible work. Mm. And, you know, I think you, you, there's limitations and there's, pop, mm. and there's um, positives to both. And obviously it can be very individual dependent, but, um, but yeah, I think that's probably, yeah, I love that. I especially love in therapy of like um, developing deeper relationship with those parts of yourself and like acknowledging like, okay, this is anxiety and acknowledging like those deeper rooted issues, I suppose. And I think for me going to a psychologist and getting that almost validation of like, this is anxiety was so helpful and something that a coach can't diagnose that. Yeah. Right. So that, yeah. that I found <clears throat> really helpful. And then in terms of like coaching though, again, with my therapist, um, it's very much a one way street, I suppose, in the sense that like I'm relaying all information about myself and then she's kind yeah. of being like, okay, well, this is this and this is how you should do this. And this is this. How do you feel about it? Classic psych language. Yes. Whereas with my coaches, what I have actually found so helpful more than I would have ever realized is that when I speak about something that I may be struggling with, my coach will be like, oh yes, I've, this is how I experienced it. And this is how I dealt with it. And hearing from someone else's experience, which is something that's not you don't really do in therapy I assume like my therapist doesn't do it has actually really helped me to like normalize my yeah. struggles even if it was like little things like confidence or um when I was working with a mindset mentor last year I really struggled with going to events by myself but I really had all this like these urges to just like go to events and you know I didn't want to be relying or codependent on someone else and she was like yeah that's something I used to really struggle with and she's like it's all about like being the pioneer and like gave me some really good like background into her experience which was like oh okay it's normal like not yeah. everyone feels super confident to go to yes. events and that really helped me to take action on actually doing that thing rather than getting like stuck in that fear which I feel like yeah it would have been different had I tried to have worked with my psychologist because there's not kind of as much I guess accountability in a sense mm. does that make sense yeah, yeah it does it's interesting though because my teacher and it's this is I think a controversial world in the mm. therapy world because mm -hmm. there's some therapists who do use self-disclosure mm. and there's some who don't and I do think it's useful, but I'm always just very mindful of what is my intention. Yeah. Like, obviously, your intention is never to get support. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from yeah. The other person. Like, it's got to be, you're doing this to sh show them, like, hey, you're not alone. And, yes. you know, to kind of remove that barrier and say, I'm, I'm not standing on a mountaintop. I haven't figured out everything. Yes. I'm just, I'm here. Take to yourself you. off the pedestal kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I think it really does depend on the therapist. But I hear what you're saying. Coaches definitely bring in their, bring in their personal experience more and, I think that's really powerful because it can just enable you also to have more compassion for yourself mm. and feel so much less alone in whatever struggle you have. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And 
to just yeah like how, how I said before to just normalize it as well and to yeah. just I think and when I'm saying that like you know even with my clients I may relay some of my similar experiences but it's like what you said I'm not telling them to like steal the conversation <laughs> or to be like let's talk about me yeah. and I think that's really important when looking for a coach is are they do they have the ability to actually share things that are relevant in a way that helps you to uh, like discover more about yourself yes. and that's the difference between having a coach and like just complaining to a friend kind of thing you know what I mean because <laughs> when you talk to a friend then sometimes they're like oh yeah I, I deal with that too and that's different again on another kind of level because they've injected their biases and they're not trained to listen in that way and yeah you know what I mean yeah 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 Mm. so what would your advice be for someone that feels like they're maybe a little bit stuck maybe they just feel like they are not living up to their potential they feel like they are constantly like doubting themselves what would be your recommendation for like their next move if you if they know that they want to get support but they're like do I like how do I find a psychologist or how do I find a coach and mm. which one which one is better for what Yeah it's tricky I suppose like going back if it is more like you are you know that you have like mental health challenges mm. and you know you want a deeper understanding of that then I think that's when therapy is really mm-hmm. important um and I, the thing I would say is whatever you choose, don't be put off if the first person you go to isn't the right match, whether yes. it's a coach or a therapist. And yes. Um, something I love about the place that I work, actually, this isn't a plug, but it's just something they do, which is if you don't like your therapist, you get a session for free with someone else. Yeah. Because the whole idea is that, like, the you know, I think no matter what you're doing, the relationship you have with your support person is just the most important mm-hmm, thing. And absolutely. That's it. And they've done, you know, studies time and time again to show that, that like, yes, the strategies matter, but what matters the most mm, is that someone feels safe. So interesting, and yes. And they feel heard and, mm. you know, that they're going to feel comfortable sharing themselves and be seen. And so just to, um, to look for the right person and if you don't find it straight away to not be put off, and think oh well that just doesn't work for me Mm. to keep going till you find someone who you feel can support you Mm. Uh, yeah definitely and something that was so interesting for me like when I first went to my psych I didn't think I was like anxious Mm. I was just like I just was like and I've spoken about this quite a lot on the podcast I just thought I wasn't like sleeping enough or like I just wasn't I was like Mm. oh once I earn more Mm. money so I guess like, can you give us some, and I was so lucky that a friend said to me, I think you should go to therapy. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Even though I was like crying every day, but I was just like, no, I'm fine. Um, can you, like, if you were to, like, what would be some of the things that you would look out for in someone that you knew or whatever, if to like say, yeah, you, maybe you should like reach out for a psychologist? Yeah, I suppose like what you said, like if you do find yourself crying a lot, you know, losing motivation. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think the, the tricky thing is that some of this is really normalized again in our culture, which isn't and what I mean by that. It can just feel normal to be feeling really anxious oh, all the time. Yeah, and it can you're almost so be right. celebrated. Like we're high functioning and oh. we do so much and we multitask and we're so busy and we burnt out. And, much. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I think just knowing that there is more for us than that. And, you know, just if you are finding yourself overthinking a lot ruminating a lot finding it difficult to switch off you know intense worry I mean they're all good signs that you know maybe some additional support could be really useful Mm, oh yeah to that intense worry I was so intensely scared that my business was going to fail at the time I'd been running it for about 14 months maybe 
And it wasn't that I thought, I, it's so weird when you think about your mind because it's not, I, I didn't think it was like something that could happen. I was like, it's going to fail. Yeah. And I just thought that was like the reality, but it wasn't the reality. It was just what my mind had led me to believe. And so yeah. to have someone mm. to, you know, give me that nudge of like, maybe you should see someone and to go there and her being my, my psych being like, it's not what, like, what proof do you have for that? And it was like, whoa, I had really convinced myself that the worst outcome was going to happen. And it just takes that like external support to kind of give you that perspective, doesn't it? And I think really like one of the most powerful things is realizing that your thoughts are not facts, Mm -hmm. like that they are not facts. Your feelings aren't facts and that we can actually learn to question them and have some distance from them. And we don't have to believe everything that, yeah, that we're thinking. Yes. Yes. This is a lesson I continue to learn as well. Like every, I always think like, okay, I've overcome my food issues. I've overcome my body image issues. I mean, you know, but that's kind of like a daily thing, especially being a woman. I feel like your body's just constantly changing or like, you know, and then it will be like, okay, well, I've overcome my fears of failing in business. And then it's like, oh, well, okay. Well then the next fear. And it's yeah. always just kind of reminding <laughs> yourself of being like, your thoughts aren't always real. Like yeah. not everything that your mind thinks of is a fact. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, and then what about coaching? Like, how do you know if you're ready for a coach? Um, coaching, I think can just be, you know, that feeling of like my life's okay, but there's something missing. Mm. Um, you know, everything might not be a total mess or, you know, um, there might not be some like really deep, you know, wounds that you're wanting to heal, but you just know that something doesn't feel right and Mm. that there's more for you. Like there's more for you in this life. And so just wanting that clarity, like we said before about like, what's important to me, what are my values and you know, where am I living that? Where, where am I not? And what's getting, you know, in the way of me living those things. And I think just having someone to ask those questions with and Mm. to listen to you is so supportive. Um, and so that's why coaching can be more of a short term thing sometimes depending on the coach, you know, and yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and I, I guess like some of the things that you might go through in coaching, do you feel like I mean, I guess it would be the same with like a therapy session might be quite intuitive, but like we just never prioritize it. So it's kind of like, you know, if I, I, like I was telling you just before I've started going to a new gym and when I go to the gym, it's like they welcome me and they tell me what the workout is to do. And I do it in a group environment and it's like a specific class that I go to and I could do that all on my own, but it wouldn't be as fun. I wouldn't be as inspired. I wouldn't have that like community aspect to it. And I probably wouldn't be able to like work as hard. Not, you know, not saying like, you know, I'm a big um, advocate for like not pushing yourself extremely hard. I don't even like working that hard and exercising anymore, <laughs> but like, it just feels more satisfying because yeah. I go. And I would say some of the things in coaching, I guess would be very intuitive, but because you've never had someone to like dedicate that time and energy to you and be like, yeah, you're worth doing this work on yourself. You never get around to it. Would you agree with that yeah. as well? Yeah. And I do think there's something powerful about someone sitting across oh. from you or, you know, and asking you those questions that you just wouldn't think to ask yourself. So mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely, it's definitely deeper doing it with someone else than if you do it on your own. Absolutely. Like I've just invested in a new coach as well. And I was talking to her about, um, like my new program that I was running and like, I was really excited about it. And I was like, you know, but what if other people aren't as excited about it? And I coach this to my clients all the time. And, and I, I know what I would respond to that. Like, of course they will be, but just, just have her say to me, like, you are so good at what you do and like, you're worth it. I was like, oh, I just needed to hear that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you just need that support sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tell us your experience with um, going through like your own therapy and was that kind of like a 
and like a spur for you to become a therapist or what would you say like inspired you to start working as a therapist I've always loved supporting friends like Mm. since I was little you know it was Mm. always a thing I loved to do to just be the person that people felt like they could come Mm. to if you know things were hard or and so I think how little I I think since I I think I don't know how old (laughs) I think even when I was like 12 or you know 13 and I'm sure it has to do with losing my mum just that Mm. you know I think when you have had suffering in any form in your life it does open you up to being more compassionate and sensitive and and more sensitive and so you know that can be one of the gifts of that and so I think I've always been drawn to that world and um you know yeah I mean I've had on and off therapy and but you know in in different forms sometimes like with meditation teachers Mm. sometimes with psychologists sometimes with coaches but since I was you know in my 20s I would Mm, say mm -hmm. um and yeah I you know I struggled with food and body a lot when I was younger and so that's originally why I went to therapy to really um try and get support with that and that was helpful to an extent but actually it was my meditation teacher who I saw Mm. in Melbourne for years who I have to say you know no training in therapy but was the most helpful transformative and my acupuncturist person that I saw so it's interesting um yeah yeah I love that and I think like it's what you said you're gonna need different modes at different times as well um, and I will work with like, yeah, di- all different kinds of teachers. So yeah. tell us what was like some of the most, I guess, like memorable lessons that you got from doing the meditation training and like what was so yeah. good about acupuncture? So the acupuncturist, he was amazing. At the time I had struggled with so many gut issues. Mm. I traveled in South America and it was really, me- you know, it was really messing with my head because I also had disordered eating and mm. it was just a mess. And I had this real belief that I was not okay. Like that belief of I'm not okay. Mm. Like, but deeply, like not just physically. Yeah, know? yeah. And he just had a way, and it wasn't in a dismissive way, of just repeatedly telling me, you're okay. Yeah. You're okay. But in a way which was so nurturing. And eventually mm. I just started to believe it. Oh, I'm okay. Yeah. And of course then the healing starts to happen because I'm you believe trusting it. and yeah, I'm believing. Yeah. And with my meditation teacher, she was the first person I spoke about my binge eating with. Mm. And I had so much shame around mm. that. Like... I just had not been able to get the words out and it was so hard for me to get the words out even to her. And it sounds really crazy, but she injected humor into mm. the conversation and we ended up like, it's something a therapist probably would never do. They'd mm-hmm. be told to do the, like, this is not how you should be with a client when they disclose this. But, she, and I can't, um, she did this action. Like I, I won't be able to do it justice on the podcast. Yeah. We were laughing our Aww. heads off and it really, um, it was such a beautiful moment in me no longer feeling yeah. so much shame around yeah. this behavior that I could barely get the words out to say. Mm. And I was so grateful for her really unconventional, <laughs> very intuitive um, way of interacting with me about that. Oh, I love that. Here I am talking about it very openly all these years later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. I love that because, and such a key part of healing is being able to, you know, that's, the essence of being vulnerable isn't it of being like this is what I'm struggling with and I'm really embarrassed about it and the longer we keep it hidden the more it just like festers away and we then lose so much energy in trying to keep it hidden all the time and being worried that other people are going to find out about it so to be able to have that space of like speaking about it in itself 
is already so healing, isn't it? Cause you're like, I'm struggling with my binge eating and I can definitely relate to that as well. Like, um, I guess for me, I never worked with like, like not never worked with, but like, there wasn't like a pivotal moment with like a coach necessarily. I think I just learned a lot from her eating habits and how she kind of like recommended me to eat. But the thing that really sealed the deal for me with my relationship with food was actually posting about it on social media. Mm. And so I would talk about it all the time. And the more that I spoke about it, the more that I was like, this isn't anything to be embarrassed about. And people related to it. And I was able to really own it. And I was able to write my own narrative around it instead of being scared that like people would judge me about it. People are going to judge you about it regardless. Um, And so that was really helpful for me. And so something that I do within my group programs now when I'm talking about body image and food and our eating habits is let's speak about it within this group scenario. Like this is literally the safest space you will get to speak about it because I know every single one of you struggle with it. So speak about it and it's always going to feel nerve wracking, isn't it? Like it's always, you never feel comfortable when you're saying something for the first time. It just feels so like you're out of your skin and you're like, ugh. but that's the pathway to healing, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I feel like shame just keeps it alive. Like that secrecy just keeps whatever you're holding just growing and yeah I think the best thing you can do is share it with people who you do feel safe with and as you say like it gets easier and eventually you realize oh that's not not such a big deal and the judgment become you know you you judge yourself less and the compassion Mm. comes in and that is when we can heal when you know we drop the judgment which is often you know shame is so wrapped up in judgment and we get curious and um become yeah and are compassionate to whatever we're going through and i think mm. we just we we need that so much if we want oh. to move through and absolutely so how can we be more compassionate to ourselves um i think a big one is first noticing how you are speaking mm. to yourself i think for me if i'm honest i didn't even know that i wasn't compassionate to myself because i thought my inner dialogue was just me. Like that was just fact. I don't know mm. if that makes sense, but oh, like, totally. I don't have an inner voice. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just, this is just, this fact. is just, yeah. fact. this is like, just how just, it is. Yeah. Exactly. Totally not and you so mean. I think initially realizing for me, oh my gosh, that's not the truth. Like that's not, you know, that is just my inner dialogue and it's really harsh mm. and starting to question, whoa, would I say that to a friend? And if I said that out loud, what would someone I love think of that? You know, mm. and, so I think for with self-compassion, a big thing for me initially was just acknowledging I wasn't ready to come in with the, oh, darlings, which eventually I got to. So initially it was just acknowledging when things were hard mm. and just going, oh, yeah, right. This is hard. This is a hard moment because I didn't even give myself that kind of grace initially. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought I should be able to get through everything and, you know, nothing. I should cope better. <laughs> I should cope and then I think it moved to, you know, sometimes putting my hand on my heart and just being mm, like, oh, love. beautiful, oh, darling. Um, you know, if I felt anxious, that's often what I do, hand on the heart. Oh, hun, you know, like you'd see the kid. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's me feel a bit emotional. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, nice. It's really yeah. nice. And, yeah, I think asking yourself, what would I say to a friend if they were going through this? Mm. If they told me this? What would I say to them? And then starting to give yourself that. Mm, that is so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's so nice. I'm like, oh, I really felt that. I was yeah. like, come on. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. And just validating your own experience, isn't it? Of like, 
yeah, this you get to feel this. And like, just because maybe you perceive someone else's life to be harder than yours doesn't mean that you don't go through your own personal experience. That's something I always have to remind myself and my clients because yeah. people are always saying like, why can't I be more grateful? I shouldn't even be struggling with this. Why is this so hard for me? And yeah. it's like, it, questioning that's not going to make it easier no. either. And because life is hard. Like this is one of the things I wish I could go back and tell my yeah. 20 something year old self. You're not doing anything wrong when life is hard. Like mm. life is hard mm-hmm. and it's beautiful and we can be grateful and struggling at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like it's not one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's so true. Like that duality piece for me has been really big. And especially like, I mean, this is a bit random and off topic, but when the whole Black Lives Matter movement came up, I, it was this real... Um, confronting piece for me because it was like oh okay I would never have defined myself as racist but if I'm not being actively anti-racist then I'm also adding like it's that whole idea of being neutral is um in the what's that saying that I'm trying to think of you know if like neutral is giving it in this oh my god now I can't even explain that what I'm trying to say but basically if you're not saying anything yes. then you're not advo- your country's kind of letting things run how they've been going which is holding up the systemic oppression and racism yeah and for me I was like oh my god if I'm not being anti-racist then there's something wrong with me. like I'm a bad person I can't believe I've been doing that and that actually really helped me to realize that okay just because my actions maybe haven't been reflecting how I perceive myself or haven't been reflecting the best version of myself it doesn't necessarily mean I'm a bad person coming back to this idea of worthiness. Like I can be a good person, but I've also made a mistake or I've also not been aware of something. And now I'm working on becoming better and more, you know, learning the language around that and learning how I can advocate and promote for other people's rights and that kind of thing. And that has actually been a really interesting, confronting lesson, but also interesting lesson for me to be like, Oh, okay. I'm still worthy and I can make mistakes and yes. I can move forwards from them. Exactly. And then it is that whole, you know, to use a coaching term, but that growth mindset, yeah. of, you know, we can learn. And, Absolutely. And if we're compassionate with ourselves about it, actually, we're going to be so much more open to learning. And Absolutely. We can, yeah. It, yeah. I think that's beautiful how you just said that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so early on in your therapy days, when you yeah. were going through your experience of food and body, You said something to me um, a few weeks ago about how when you went to your therapist and she was like, you are always going to struggle with food um, issues and body image, which was so like struck such a chord with me because I can remember being in the thick of that experience with myself and just feeling like it would never get better until I reached a certain body level. Like only then would I be able to eat whatever I wanted? Only then could I um, rest from the gym and only then would I be able to be more social and put myself out there. And so I put all of my energy on this and kind mm-hmm. of put the rest of my life on hold. And I, it, it felt like it was never going to end. Yeah. So how, I guess, and, and now I know it's, you know, it's, I, I guess like, I feel like I'm pretty healed. Like I literally eat whatever I want all yeah. the time. I revel in food. Like I just love food, but I'm not obsessed with it. I can forget about it. I can leave food on the plate. I feel energized. Sometimes I feel bloated, but like rarely ever. And I actually think it's really interesting because when I, when I was like in my disordered eating, because I was so stressed about my body all the time, yeah. my stomach just stopped working. Like I just couldn't digest food. Whereas now... I just eat whatever I like. I never, I rarely really get like full. Like when I used to get bloated, it was like painful. Whereas now I might get like a little bit bloated and then it's just like whatever. And so I think that's really interesting because I feel like for me, it was because I was so stressed and putting so much pressure on myself that my stomach just like didn't cope with Mm. any food that I was eating. Yeah. Um, 
And so I want to say like for me personally, and I think that you'll agree, like we feel like we've come to a place with food and body where we do feel really comfortable, where it's not a constant thought, where it's not something that holds us back anymore. Mm -hmm. So talk us through how that experience maybe like impacted you and where you feel like you're at now. Yeah. Well, at the time I felt pretty demoralized, (laughs) if I'm honest, when she said to me that you are always you'll always struggle with this. And at the time, that's what it felt like. Like what Mm, you said, it was a struggle and I was obsessed with food and it took up a lot of my mind. I missed out on a lot of experiences because I was so caught up in my head. And I did believe that I was going to be that person who did not heal from Mm. food. And so I think when she sort of confirmed it, that, um, yeah, you'll, you'll struggle with this to an extent for the rest of your life. Um, yeah, it was pretty demoralizing and I probably agreed with her. And like upon reflection now, what I can see is because diet culture is so, it's like the air that we breathe, right? Mm. And so the medical system and even some, some and even therapists, if they yeah. haven't done this deeper work, they are coming from that system. Yeah. They probably think dieting to an extent is normal. And yes. so maybe it is true for her mm-hmm. and for clients that she's seen that they get to a certain extent of healing and they can't ever properly heal because Mm -hmm. they're still within the system and I think that's for me where the deeper healing came when I realized when I sort of started to see the lies of dieting I opted Mm -hmm. out of diet culture in terms of I can now see it I feel more removed from it um and so that's something which I'm I now sit with like oh yeah probably you know that probably that was true for her because I wonder whether she had disordered eating as Ah, well exactly she got to a point and then that was it for her that she still struggled whereas I've worked with coaches I've done so much work on this and I am so pleased to say that I really do feel healed Mm -hmm. in terms of my relationship with food and my body and you know what healed looks like what healed feels like to me now it's very different to how i thought it would look years mm, ago as in so interesting yeah. yeah i thought healed was behaviors i thought healed would be i sat down for every meal and i was <laughs> yeah. french and i was like it was like a pleasurable experience and i'd light the candles that is not what healed looks like for me healed yeah. for me looks like my self-worth just is no longer attached to how i eat so if oh, i so eat good. standing up which i do sometimes if i eat sitting down it actually doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, <laughs> my worth is not up for debate depending on what I do. So I do sometimes eat standing up. Or like, on the run. Like sometimes yes, you just have to and you don't have to beat yourself up about it. Exactly. Exactly. But before when I thought what healing looked like, like that wasn't in my image. Like, mm. you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm always going to eat the right amount of this and I'll still sit down. So yes, I think the healing is absolutely possible, but I think that you do need to um, not just kind of do the therapy work but also do the work with diet culture with body image and yeah oh and fat phobia and too. fat phobia exactly yeah. yeah which is very confronting as well because mm-hmm. you have this idea in your mind of this is how a body is meant to look like and like questioning well why am i so scared to gain weight you know like yeah. why like why are we why do you think that we're all so scared to gain weight oh gosh it's i, I mean and I actually want to read up more on this, if I'm honest, because something I've been like lately with all the stuff that's come up, you know, with Black Lives Matter is um, research into the fact that some of this actually has to do with racism as well. Mm, some of diet yes. culture's roots are in racism. And yes. I haven't read it yet, so I don't feel confident, you know, really giving my opinion. But I think there's a book called Fearing the Black Body, which mm. I want to read next. Mm. And it is about this idea that initially um, in order to kind of, them and us you know to other other 
black people from white people we made you know larger bodies yes. we attached them with um words such as lazy and mm. over sexualized and you know just words which um you know were a less than kind of yeah thing. yeah yeah and so apparently there's roots in in that which i want to really yeah read yeah definitely i want to research that too yeah mm. so interesting yeah i think um just unpacking that and also for me something that's been really helpful has been following on my social media different size bodies different colored yes. bodies different yes. experiences different sexualities all those kinds of things has been so helpful for me because oh even like a year ago all of my instagram i actually went through a big cull of unfollowing you know i used to follow so many just like white skinny bikini models and be like oh yeah it's motivation <laughs> and so i culled all of that yeah. But then I didn't replace it with anything. So yeah. my Instagram kind of became just like friends and family and like, yeah, love seeing what they're up to. But there's so much more richness to Instagram and it's so available to our fingertips that there's actually not the excuse of like, I don't know what, to, I don't know. The, the excuse of like, I don't know, I don't know how to, what to do. It's like so basic yeah. to just expand your horizons on social media or to be reading books or to, you know, use Audible or pod, like podcasts, like what we're doing right now. There's exactly. so much information and it's just about actually putting yourself out there and prioritizing it. Yeah, 100%. Love that. Um, all right. How are we feeling? Is there anything that you wanted to add? No, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah I, feel I feel like we've covered quite a lot. This <laughs> yeah. has been a juicy chat. I'm loving it. Yeah. Um, so as per usual, I always finish with three rapid fire questions. Okay. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> first question. Are you nervous? Yeah. You should be there pretty hard. <laughs> okay. First question is what's your favorite food? Oh, smoothies. Oh. I love smoothie. I know How it's so cliche, them? but I think acai bowls and smoothies, I just love so much. Oh, I dislike them completely. Do you? Yeah, oh. I cannot. Something about a texture thing for me, like I hate eating... <laughs> This is so specific, but I hate eating like yogurt with nothing in it or just drinking ah. a smoothie. I don't know. It just doesn't vibe with me. I love the cold. I know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, everything about that. I like, I love ice cream, but it has to be chunky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There we go. Like some good Messina. See food, mm. cause other food comes and goes in my life. And look, I'm not drinking very many smoothies at the moment cause it's really it cold. It is really cold. Yeah. <laughs> but when it gets hot again, I just love a good smoothie. Mm. Yeah. Like mm, a chocolate fair. peanut butter. Mm. I do love peanut butter. <laughs> As you came in and you caught me snacking on peanut butter <laughs> um what is something that you are currently working on within yourself at the moment ah good one what am i working on within myself i think for me it's parenting i've got two little ones and a big lesson for me is learning that um i mean it sounds like such a, a weird thing to say but that i'm allowed to actually get angry and i'm allowed mm. to um have difficult moments with my kids because one of my coping strategies as a kid was to I'm not making it very rapid fire but one no, of my, that's fine. one of my coping strategies as a kid was to avoid all conflict become mm. perfect not fight with anyone and so having my own kids who I'm really close to and I adore like mm. obviously um yeah it's messy and so I'm mm. learning to realize that like it's okay for it to be messy and it's okay for me not to always respond in the way that I wish I did and that I can say sorry and that we can mend 
and that we can be closer and stronger for it. So that's what I'm still learning. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so beautiful. And like, of course, you're a human that's going to be experiencing all emotions. Just because you're a mother doesn't mean you're now immune to ever feeling annoyed or frustrated. Totally. So, yeah. I think anger is so, so often an emotion which is denied or looked, looked mm. down on for women. Mm. And I was one of those right. people who said before I had kids, I just never get angry. And yeah, that's definitely... I can't, can't relate. I definitely get angry, but that's fine. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Really well practiced if you ever decide to go down that route oh yes we'll see what happens yeah yeah um but I think it's beautiful to be able to recognize that and be like okay well I'm gonna honor my need to display all of all of my emotions as well because that's really healthy for kids yes. to see too right exactly and how to repair and forgive and all of it resolution and perfect and yeah 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 that's what yeah. that's all about you're doing a great job exactly um last question is yeah. what does it mean to you to have a peaceful body Ah, that's a good question. Have a peaceful body. A peaceful body for me means living in my body, Mm. like being embodied. And so for me, that looks like feeling my emotions, Mm. allowing them to move. Um, Yeah, just just feeling at home Mm. in my body. Do you have a way of like feeling your emotions? Because like often sometimes I'll get my clients to be like, well, how does that feel within you and I want them to kind of tap into their bodies yeah and I'm I'm surprised but also not surprised because even like two years ago I wouldn't have known how to have done that oh yeah and so I've got some strategies that I will take my clients through but what are some of your favorite ways to help you get in touch with your bodies because we're so disconnected from them, I know. and it does take time and I think this is where working with a coach or therapist is amazing mm. um, and that's absolutely where I learned it because I did not yeah. know how to feel my feelings but um, what I get people to do is just to connect like with their emotions, like when they feel themselves getting really triggered in mm. some way, um, anxious, angry, whatever it is, frustrated, to go into their body and just go, well, where am I feeling this? Yes, I love that. And then you can ask it, you know, well, what, what emotion is this? And then I often say, just try them on, like you try on clothes. Is it anger, shame, sadness, love that. And, or anxiety? So just even those four, fear, sadness, anger, shame. And often one will resonate. Mm. And then you can just hold it like you would like a kid. Who knows, yeah, yeah. You, know? you could ask it a question like, what are you needing? Or you can just hold it like, oh, yeah. you're welcome to be here for you. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Perfect. That's in a nutshell. <laughs> I love, and I love that analogy of like trying it on like clothes as well. And I think also that reminds you that like when you put on clothes, it's, temporary it's not like you're with that for life now or that defines you necessarily like put it on for a while acknowledge that it's there take it off once you're done kind of thing like not you know i think sometimes we get so stuck in this mindset of like it's permanent i'm always going to be like this yes and that is the biggest barrier to feeling them Mm. and so just absolutely and the more that we learn to sit with emotion like what is so powerful is that we learn that they naturally move and that we don't have to like false positivity our way to a next place we'll just naturally feel different but Mm. we only can do that if we allow it to move Mm -hmm. so it is such it's one of my favorite things yeah absolutely and like what I was saying before like I I definitely used to get a lot more angry, but only because I never used to feel my emotions. So I'd always push them to the side, push them to the side. And then something so like seemingly small would happen. And I would just like erupt because it was just, it caught me off guard. So now like feeling my feels, it means that anything that does happen, I'm coming at it from like a fresher perspective. Like most of the time, depends how I'm feeling. (laughs) 
Um, so how can people find you if they want to maybe work with you or just find out more about you? Do you want to kind of, yeah, yes. let us know? So Instagram, I'm Life Unfiltered Coaching. Cool. Or I've got a website, which I'm pretty sure is lifeunfiltered.coach. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it, um, we'll link it in the show notes. So you can send me the details. Yeah, I've got two of them with, with us. But yeah, so, um, but yeah, that would be the best way to get in touch. And I can, obviously, as I said, during this podcast, it's so important that you connect. And so I offer free 30 minute consultations just to make Love sure that, that. Yeah, that yeah. it is the right fit. And yes, yeah, so happy to, happy to chat. Perfect. Thank cool. you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs>